Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Happy New Year. Uh, all right, I got to ask a question. Is, have all of you broken your New Year's resolutions like I have? Go ahead and get it over with is what my advice to you. Just go ahead and break them and get it over with on the second day. That way you don't have to stress out that I broke my New Year's resolutions. It's done, right? Just make it easy on yourself. I promise you, it's less stressful this way. Just break them. Get them over with. Now, I hope you have a great year this year. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to what God has for all of us this year and what he's going to do in our lives and how he's going to make an impact on our lives. And, and, and we hope that you have a, a wonderful 2022. 2022. Weren't we supposed to have flying cars by now? Yeah. <laughs> John's like, yeah. All right, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, if you will. Use the passage of Scripture that Isaac read a few minutes ago uh, is where we're going to be. We're going to focus on verse 33. I wanted him to read that kind of section there, the, the end of the, pa- of the chapter. And, and, but we're going to concentrate on verse 33 today and, and as we look at this. So I don't know if you're like me. I, I'm a rabbit hole guy. You know what rabbit holes are? Not literal rabbit holes, like rabbits digging the ground. I'm talking about like rabbit holes where you learn about something, and then you go, wait, what about this? And you go over here and learn about this, and you go, let me give you an example of a rabbit hole. I've kind of been down this last year. So last year, I, I drive a lot for my job, my business that I run, and, and I'm in my truck a lot, so I, I've, I have a subscription to Audible, so I can listen to books, audio books, and, um, so, and I've learned the best books for me to listen to is not a technical book. Like, I don't listen to theology books on Audible. Because I'm driving on the road and I hear a quote in a theology book. And I'm like, I, I got to write this down. And you can't write it down while you're driving. So you, I've learned the, the, the books that I like most is historical books. And so I like biographies. I like stories of different things. Of war is kind of my, I love war stories. Like right now I'm, re, I'm listening to one about the Battle of Antietam. So, but last year kind of took me on a rabbit hole. And this is where it started. I decided I wanted, I wanted to listen to a biography about Abraham Lincoln. So I listened to a biography about Abraham Lincoln, which led me to a biography by, two biographies written by Frederick Douglass about himself, which led me to another biography of Frederick Douglass written by somebody else because I wanted to get somebody else's perspective on Frederick Douglass's life and learned a lot about Frederick Douglass. That led me to two biographies of Ulysses S. Grant. So I went from Abraham Lincoln, which kind of, you know, they're kind of all linked together. They're all in the same historical context. Well, then I got to Grant, and I'm like, you know what? I want something on George Armstrong Custer. So I, I found a book called Crazy Horse and Custer, which was an interesting book because it parallels the lives of Crazy Horse and Custer and how similar their lives and growing up were, and then they meet on the Battle of Bighorn, Little Bighorn. And so I read that or listened to that one. Then, which led me to, you know what? I really want to, you know what? I want to... Billy the Kid. So I went and listened to a biography about Billy the Kid and learned about Billy the Kid. I said, hey, why not another outlaw? How about Jesse James? So I just got through with a biography of Jesse James a couple weeks ago. That's where Abraham Lincoln led me, down that rabbit hole. It's a pretty crazy rabbit hole, right? 
So I, I like rabbit holes. That's what I, you know, I, hey, what about this and what about that? And I kind of, my brain starts going crazy and I start trying to find different things about different. Well, this passage of scripture led me down an interesting rabbit hole in Matthew chapter 6. It led me to learn about a man named Ernest Rutherford. Ernest Rutherford was born in New Zealand, in Nelson, New Zealand, in 1871. Five years, here's the entry, five years before the Battle of Little Bighorn. So, historical context for you. He graduated from the University of New Zealand with a degree in mathematics and physical science. In 1851, he became a research student in England at Trinity College in Cambridge in the Cavendish Laboratory. He went on to teach at McGill University in Montreal. And from McGill University, he went back to England to Manchester University and taught there and ultimately back to Cavendish Research Lab or to Cavendish Laboratory as a professor of physics at Cambridge. He also became chairman of the scientific and industrial research of scientific industrial research for the British government in the early 1900s. He discovered the concept of radioactive half-life and discovered the element of radon. Now, many of y'all know about radon around here, right? I've got a radon remediation system on my basement. Many of y'all have that. Y'all know about radon. This guy discovered it. Um, let's see here. His research led to differentiation between alpha and beta radiation, and he named both of them. In 1908, he won a Nobel Prize in chemistry for his investigation into the disintegration of elements and chemistry of radioactive substances. Produced the first artificial nuclear reaction, which led to the naming of the hydrogen atom called the proton. He led research that discovered the neutron, the splitting of a nucleus in a fully controlled manner. Under his leadership at Cambridge, he directed four Nobel Prize winners. His ashes are buried at Westminster Abbey, not far from those of Isaac Newton. Seems like a pretty important fellow in history, right? His discovery of the proton, which is a stable subatomic particle occurring in all atomic nuclei without positive electrical charge equal the magnitude to that of an electron, but opposite inside. That's the definition of proton. If you understand that, you're smarter than I am. I'm just saying. A proton, let me give you the Chris Wall's version. A proton helps bind a nucleus together. Protons also attract the negatively charged electrons and keep them in orbit around the nucleus. The number of protons in an atom's nucleus determines what chemical that atom is, and it determines what its atomic number is. So you may be asking, how did study in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, lead me to all that? Yes, I went down a very large rabbit hole. So when Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, how does that lead to Ernest Rutherford. Well, if you read the Greek, actually the verse says, seek however first in the Greek. The word first is a Greek word that is proto. 
which we get our word proton from. That's how you get to Ernest Rutherford from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, in Chris Walls' brain. There you go. There's a look at my brain for you so you can get an idea of it. But it's the idea of the first. And this is what I, we're going to talk about this morning is verse, seek first the kingdom of God. We are to understand in the immediate context of this verse what Jesus has been preaching about right before it and not being anxious about things. We are to instead seek first. But we're also looking at the bigger perspective of Scripture. We're also supposed to look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and through chapter 7 is where Jesus gives us the Sermon on the Mount in that media context of all the things that he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount were to seek first something. We are to seek first. The word seek here is the idea of something you continually do. It's something that you're never finished with. It's something that you're never done with. It's something you do on a regular basis, on a daily basis. You constantly, continuously seek first. You don't hold back. You're never done this side of heaven with seeking first. So Jesus gives us two things we are to seek, and then he gives us the reason why we are to seek it first. The two things we are supposed to seek, the first one is we are to seek something bigger than myself. We are to seek first the kingdom. Jesus tells us to seek something bigger. Is the kingdom of God bigger than you? Yes. If I told you to go seek something in a room and I just said, hey, go seek in that room over there. You'd be like, but what am I supposed to seek? You want to know, right? You got to have information so that you know what you're supposed to seek so that you can seek the right thing and find the right thing that you're being told to go seek, right? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. So if you're going to go seek the kingdom, you better know a little bit about the kingdom, right? You better understand the concept of the kingdom. In scripture, let me give you this. In scripture, the word, the term kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used synonymously. So if you ever read the scripture, the kingdom of God, you understand that. You read the kingdom of heaven, you understand that. They're together. They're the same thing. We're to seek first the kingdom. So if we're going to seek first something, we better know what we're seeking. We better understand what the kingdom is. Psalms chapter 103 verse 19 tells us, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Jesus, just 23 verses before this passage in Matthew 6, 33, gives us in the model prayer, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Tells us to pray that way. Psalm 145, 13 says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. John the Baptist preached, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. So, if you're going to seek the kingdom, you better know what the kingdom is because it's a very important aspect of Scripture. I could go on and on and find Scripture passage after Scripture passage about the kingdom of God and its importance and what it is in the world around us because it is around us. So let me give you a succinct definition as I can found in my research. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. Let me read that again. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's 
place. So in other words, you're a part of the kingdom. The world you live in is the kingdom. The world that God created is the kingdom. That's why Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, because the kingdom is in heaven, but the kingdom come on earth. We are supposed to bring that kingdom to the world around us. That means that all of creation is God's kingdom, both heaven and earth. When Jesus taught us to pray, that's what he's telling us to do, pray for that. I'm going to give you a quote, and if you've heard Joel preach on this, or he's used this quote before. Uh, if you go and been through our Discover Mission class, we have it once a month. This quote is going to be is used in the Discover Mission class. If you haven't gone through our Discover Mission class, I encourage you to do it. Even if you've been in a church for a long while, go through it. You might learn some new stuff about what we're trying to do at Covenant. You can go. You can fill out the blue card in front of you, the place in the offering plate, and they'll contact you about our next class. Or you can go to connecttocovenant.com and you can do that as well. But Abraham Kuyper puts the idea of the kingdom very succinctly. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, doesn't cry mine. Everything is about the kingdom. Everything is the kingdom of God. Many Christians spend a lot of time seeking many other earthly kingdoms. Jesus is refocusing us to the one true kingdom that matters at any point, at any time in your life, on earth, until the earth ends. God's kingdom is where it's at. The Sermon on the Mount, if you were taking the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 and beginning with the Beatitudes, you end it with this, uh, the building of your house on a firm foundation. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount revolves around the idea of what benefits the kingdom of God. You talk about the Beatitudes and being poor in spirit is about the kingdom of God. You talk about being salt and light, where Jesus talks about being salt and light in the Sermon on the Mount. It matters because it's about the kingdom of God. When he talks about anger and refocusing our mindset of what anger and how, what is right anger and how to be angry and what not to be angry and what anger is and how it can control you, it's about the kingdom of God. When he talks about lust and what we see with our eyes and how we view things, it's about the kingdom of God. When he talks about divorce and how your marriage and your marriage matters and divorce is a, it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly, it's about the kingdom of God. When he talks about oaths or retaliation or loving your enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, laying up treasures, not being anxious, judging others, asking it will be given to you, the golden rule, the tree being known by its fruit, it's all about the kingdom and the focus of the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to you, Say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, and this is the scariest verse in the Bible, people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The focus is on the importance of the kingdom. And finally, when he talks about building your house on a firm foundation and not on sand, the focus is on building 
the kingdom. This is one of the biggest reasons I get infuriated with the prosperity gospel because the prosperity gospel is focused on promotion of yourself and what's best for you and how to get everything for you. And the fact of the matter is, is God's never focused on what benefits you. It's what benefits the kingdom because guess what? What benefits the kingdom ultimately benefits you. And if your focus is not on yourself and what's best for you and you're not looking to yourself for everything and you're not trying to worry about everything, guess what? When your focus is on God, everything else doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is what matters. In fact, there's going to be times in your life when what's best for you is not what's best for the kingdom. And as a result, it's not best for you. The world may look at what you're looking at and say, hey, this is the best thing you could do. This is the best direction you could go. This is the best opportunity you have. But God's looking at that going, no, that's not what's best for the kingdom. Don't go that way. And everybody might look at you and go, you're nuts. But that's because you're about the kingdom. Your world and your testimony to the world around you is more important for God's kingdom than the opportunity you have it. Because ultimately, the kingdom is not about you. You're part of it but you're not the central figure in it. God is. Jesus gives us the perfect example of this idea. The night before, the night he was arrested, actually, the night before he was crucified, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. He's, he's so pressured by what's happening. The stress is so heavy on him that he's actually sweating drops of blood out of his sweat glands. And he is praying to God, and he looks at God, and he's asking God, take this cup from me. Take what's about to happen from me. But he says this, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's the kingdom focus that we're talking about here. Not what's best for me, but what's best for your kingdom. Because what would be best for Jesus at that point in time is not to go to the cross, because guarantee you, nobody wants to die on a cross. That's not what's best for the human side of Jesus. But what's ultimately best for each one of us in God's kingdom in the end is for Jesus to go to the cross. And so he's saying, not my will, not what I want physically. And I think this is the most human Jesus acts in his life here is the, the humanness comes out very strongly of, of, of who Jesus is. And he says, not my will, but, but yours. Because ultimately it's not about me and what I want because what I want is to be out of this situation. It's about you and your kingdom, God, and your will being done. And that's the example that we're supposed to live by. That's the example that we have in our lives of what's important for the kingdom, not what's important for self. So we're supposed to seek something bigger than ourselves. We're supposed to seek the kingdom, which is bigger than us, more important than us, more important than our desires, more important than our ambitions. Jesus also says that we are supposed to seek something better than myself. We seek his righteousness. Now this is counterintuitive. There's something bigger than myself? Yep. There's something better than myself? Yep. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about the one-verse witness. If you don't, didn't get a chance to listen to that or hear that, we talked about the idea that, 
there's a cavern between us and God, and nothing you can do, none of your good deeds will fill that cavern up and that void that's between you and God. Jesus is the only way to fill that void. That's your God restoring the right relationship between you and him through his son, Jesus Christ. The righteousness that this Jesus is talking about here is not that righteousness, not what restores your right relationship with God. This is the righteousness that allows you to live in the kingdom daily and point others to God. This is what helps you live your life on a daily basis and guides you through your life. This is one of submitting your will to God and, and, and allowing God to take control of you. This is taking what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount to heart and using it for his kingdom. The question you need to ask yourself when it comes to righteousness is, what's my ambition? Is my ambition that is it's focused on what God wants for my life? Or is my ambition to seek my comfort, my wealth, my status, my power, my stuff? Where's that ambition? God is calling us to be ambitious for his righteousness. When Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, the focus is on the kingdom of God. At the same time, how we can live the righteous life in that kingdom that God has called us to live through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus teaches about anger, because our approach should be different to the world around us so we have, should have a righteous approach to anger so that when people look at us and see us not getting angry, when everybody says, get angry, they ask why we're not getting angry. Because God is in us and we're seeking his righteousness. And so we don't get angry the way the world gets angry and everybody looks at us and goes, y'all are nuts. Yeah, let me tell you why. It's about his kingdom. When you talk about marriages, God's saying, looking at your marriage and saying, your marriage is supposed to be a testimony to the world around you about who God is in his kingdom. You're to seek his righteousness in your marriage. So that you're living in a, you and your spouse are living in a way that brings glory and honor to God so that the world around you sees something different in your marriage than the marriages of everybody else. That's why we're called to be salt and light, because our lives are supposed to be totally different, completely different. We're supposed to be salty and light in a world that is unsalty and not and very dark. We're supposed to live a life that is different so that when people look at us and understand get to know us, they look at us and say, There's something different about you. That's your opportunity to open the door and say, here's God's kingdom and here's why it's different. We're supposed to seek his righteousness in our lives because it's about the kingdom and ultimately it's not about us and what we want and our desires. It's about God's desires for us to live for him. So that the world around us looks at us and goes, there's something different about you. Why? Because you're seeking his righteousness. We have two choices in our lives. One choice is to chase our own ambition or to chase, the other choice is to chase God's ambition for us. God's ambition is our righteousness in this world to bring us to the point where we can be a testimony to God's kingdom. I'm supposed to seek something bigger than myself and I'm supposed to seek something better than myself. I had a coach in, in football when I was in junior high and high school named Coach Sam Serio. Coach Serio had this speech, this pregame speech I heard multiple times throughout my football career in high school or in junior high in, in probably my ninth grade year, I think is the last time he coached me. 
But I heard this speech before games, several games, and I remember this speech well. And Coach Sirio would look at us and say, all right, men, wide receivers, you go out and run the routes you're supposed to run and do what you're supposed to do. Running backs, you go out and run the routes and do what you're supposed to do. Go run through the hole you're supposed to run through. Linemen, you block and do your assignment. And guess what? If you do all those things, the scoreboard will take care of itself. That's what God's telling us to do when we are to seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. We do the things we're supposed to do. We take care of the jobs we're supposed to take care of. We're supposed to live the lives we're supposed to take care of. And guess what? Then the scoreboard and the world will take care of itself. Our job is not to try to do anything beyond what God has called us to do. It's to do what God's called us to do. And God will take care of the rest. God will take care of the scoreboard when it's all said and done. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to seek his kingdom, something bigger than ourselves. We're supposed to seek his righteousness, something better than myself. And there's a reason why. Because we are to seek something because God cares. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus gives us a promise that if we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, we can know that God cares for us. We can know that God will take care of us and that he will take and do what he needs to do to make sure our lives are taken care of. What are these things? All the stuff that we're anxious about. All the stuff that we worry about. All the stuff that we deal with every day. The stuff of earth that occupies us because we are not occupied with God's kingdom and his righteousness. Those are the things that God will add. When we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, then all the stuff you worry about all the time becomes secondary and God takes care of you. It gives you all the things to live your life and be able to have the life that he wants you to have. He gives you what you need. He takes care of you. He watches over you. He helps you. He guides you. He strengthens you. He encourages you. He's the one that is being you. You are in your life in a way that makes a difference and an impact on the world around you. That's what happens when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I know we all got these dreams. We've got all these ambitions. We got all these desires we want to do and these things that we want to do in our lives and we want to do this and we want to do that. And I'm not saying God's going to spoil your dreams because sometimes God takes your dreams and makes them even better. But we start with seeking the kingdom first. You don't seek your dream, you seek God. Because your ultimate dream is better when you seek God first. All these things. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything that Jesus has been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount will be added to you. You will understand what it means to build a firm foundation on Jesus Christ. You'll understand anger. You'll understand being salt and light. You'll understand what it means to be poor in spirit. All those things, plus everything else of Scripture, when you study it and understand it, 
when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the things of this earth will be taken care of. The things that you worry about will be taken care of. God will guide you through life and God will strengthen you through the life you live so that your life is about his kingdom when you seek it first. When I started thinking about this sermon and in this verse, a song came to my mind, and I was like, you know what? I, I never really studied this song and the history of the song. Where did, who wrote it? Why did they write it? Where did it come from? And so I was like, okay, here goes another rabbit hole. And so I went down a rabbit hole, and I found out about this lady that was born in England in 1853. She lived until 1928. Her name is Lilius Trotter. She had a potential career as an artist so much talent as an artist that benefactors were coming to her and saying, hey, we will help you in your art career. We will help subsidize you so that you can expand your abilities and understanding and you can become an artist. Because an artist has to have a benefactor because there's not much, until you become established, you're not much, there's not much money in the art world. But Mrs. Trotter, Ms. Trotter had a bigger vision. She had a kingdom-sized vision, in fact, so much so that she would go into the streets of England, of London and talk to the prostitutes to tell the prostitutes about Jesus Christ. She had a desire for God's kingdom and what God's kingdom had for her, not necessarily about what everybody else had for her. She had a heart for the people of North Africa and specifically the people of Algeria. She wanted to go to Algeria to be a missionary and desired to go greatly to be a missionary to the people of Algeria, but the problem was no mission agency would send her. So you know what she decided to do? She went anyway and lived for 40 years in Algeria to tell the people of Algeria about Jesus Christ. During that time that she was in Algeria, she wrote a poem. It's a rather long poem. I'm not going to read the poem, but I challenge you to go out and read it and, 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 and find it. It's easy to find. You can search it on the internet. The poem is entitled Focus, A Story and a Song. It's an incredible poem. It's inspired a woman very greatly. The woman's name is he Helen Lemuel. Helen Lemuel read this poem, and after reading this poem, she wrote these words. O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his fullness, glory, and grace. The second verse goes like this. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we will follow him there. Our sin, or our us sin, no more hath dominion. For more than conquerors we are. Verse 3 goes, His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. This verse is very meaningful to me. In a lot of ways, this song. 
This is the last song that my mother ever sang in her life, earthly life. In 2009, she was in a, at a women's retreat in East Texas with a group from her church. They just sung this song, finished singing this song. She sat down and turned to their friend next to her and said, call my husband. I don't think I'm going to make it. And she proceeded to have an aortic aneurysm and die within a few minutes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. That's what we're called to live out as followers of Christ. And as I challenge you this day, from this day forward in 2022, go forward and proto the kingdom of God. So anytime you hear the word proton, I hope it takes you back to think about first. I hope it takes you back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first, seek proto the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your truth, for your word that is so powerful and impactful. And pray that it would move us to live for you in ways that are great and mighty for your kingdom. Strengthen us, God. Guide us in all that we do. Let our hearts and mind be attuned to your word and your truth so that we truly seek you first in all that we do so that your kingdom will come, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your son's name we pray, amen. We're going to have a time of reflection, a song of reflection, an opportunity for you to respond. We, around our crosses, our deacons and elders will be there to, to pray with you, to talk to you. If you want to come up front, I'll be standing up front to pray with you as well if you've got, got something you want to pray about. But I challenge you, don't walk out of this place without truly examining your desires for God's kingdom to seek him first this year. Well, let's see. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.